Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Kendrick. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church West Hills, and it's great to have you with us this morning, have you worship with us this morning on Mother's Day. Just a few things I just want to touch base on really, really quick. You guys work fast. Um, Rick made an announcement like five minutes ago, and I already have somebody asking questions. Who's the secretary? Ms. Edith is right back there in the pink blouse. She is the, the church secretary, so if you cannot be here, that's who you would turn your ballot into um, for the pastoral search team. It would be right there to Ms. Edith. I also wanted to let you know that our 9 o'clock Bible study, uh, Oscar's going through Colossians and Philemon. This is the, the study book they're using. If you're saying, hey, I really wanted to do that, guess what? You can still join it. So I want to encourage you to join it. It's at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. This is the book. That's Oscar right over there, and he has books with him. So if you want to get one, um, go ahead. But I want to encourage you to do that. It's a great study through the Bible that they do each morning at 9 o'clock. But the second most important thing I have to say today is happy Mother's Day. Right? Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. If, it doesn't really matter if you're an adoptive mom, a biological mom, a stepmom, a grandmom. Man, you hold a super special place in somebody's life, and we want to say thank you. You have one of the highest callings outside of following Jesus as being a mother, and we are so thankful for each of you. We have a book that we'd like to give all the moms. It's called Women of the Word. You can pick this up. If you did not pick this up, they're on the table out there. We'd love for you to grab it and pick it up and just study. And us, this is a small token to say thank you and to honor the moms in our life. Thank you. We can clap for them, right? If there's anything that we'd ever clap for. Many of you just set great examples of unselfishness, um, of love for your children to follow, and we are so grateful for that. I know that I am extremely, my mom watches Mother's Day sermons just to see if I'm going to make fun of her, Right? But I am extremely grateful for the example that my mom set for me and my brothers. She worked extremely hard to be able to look us in the eye and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I am grateful for her and grateful for all of you. Her great example, her greatest example to us was pointing us towards Jesus, pointing us towards Christ, who is the ultimate example that we should all be following. If you remember last week, Pastor Gabe Martin looked at Philippians chapter 2, and he helped paint this clear picture of Jesus's selfless attitude that we're all to imitate, not just moms, but all of us are to be selfless in our attitude. And as we continue to walk through Paul's letter to the Philippians, today we're going to be looking at the second part of chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, and Paul gives us some practical instruction on how we are to imitate Christ as we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. I have to be honest with you, as I studied this passage these last couple weeks, I have been extremely convicted. There are some things where God was just opening up my heart and just stirring up in my life, and, and at the same time, I have never experienced the joy that I have as I've got to study these passages. So I am excited. I am intentionally telling myself to slow down as I talk because there's some really good stuff we're going to be looking at this week. Last week, we looked at Jesus' selfless attitude, and we were told to live the same way. Paul says this is the example that we're to imitate Jesus, right? Imitating Jesus, that is a super, super high bar. I'll be honest with you. That is a task you're never going to accomplish to reflect Jesus perfectly. And for somebody like me, a type A task person, I like to check off boxes, 
And every morning I have this thing that says imitate Jesus perfectly and I will never, ever, ever be able to check that box and it drives me a little bit crazy. But we try and we try, right? I I understand as I try to follow Jesus how much this gospel calls us to sacrifice. But these last few, few weeks as I've been looking at it, it's that same gospel that calls us to rejoice, Right, the same gospel that asks us for so much. Jesus even told his disciples, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Right, there's a sacrifice that each of us are to make. However, it is the same gospel that gives us life, that gives us the abundant life that Jesus promises us. And it's this abundant life that allows us to rejoice every single day. And as we Read through Paul's letter to the Philippians. We have to remember the context that when Paul wrote this letter, as we've already seen, it's overflowing with joy. But remember that Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And Paul, as he writes this letter, he knows that the probability of dying is much greater than the probability of being released. And yet, as he writes this letter, it is just filled with joy. And the question that we have to ask is, how does he manage to find that joy? How is he able to constantly be rejoicing, to be a source of joy and a source of encouragement to others when he's the one under house arrest, when he is the one that is facing execution? And these are great questions. And as we read this letter to the church in Philippi, we're going to see that he directs them to rejoice, and he gives them reasons to rejoice. He gives them instructions and guidance on why and how they are to rejoice. And it is these lessons that I have found so helpful these last few weeks as I've prepared for this passage. I'm going to read this short little passage and then we're going to take a a few minutes and look at some of these points that Paul is trying to teach us on how to rejoice in our everyday lives, how to rejoice as we sacrifice everything to pursue Jesus, right? How do we rejoice when we are in a relationship that requires everything, And Paul is going to help us with that. So let's go ahead and we're we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 12. Paul writes this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you should shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, as we look at Paul's words, we see that we are to shine as lights in the world. Right? As we re- reflect Jesus, as we follow Jesus' example, we are to be a shining light of hope. And in the previous chapters, Paul showed us this breathtaking portrayal of selflessness of Christ, and now he encourages the Philippians to demonstrate that same selflessness, to practice that same faith, to practice that same obedience in their everyday lives while rejoicing 
at the opportunity to demonstrate Christ's humility to the world. Right? We should rejoice at that opportunity we have to be Christ in our world. Right? When we apply the gospel to ourselves with the, the complete selflessness and the radical humility of Christ, we stand out in our world today. Right? We stand out as lights when we demonstrate selflessness, when we demonstrate humility, when we sacrifice so much to be like Christ and we rejoice at what we gain, we shine. Right? We, we reflect Jesus in a dark world. So let's look at a few things that Paul tells us to, to rejoice in order that we can reflect Jesus to our communities. The first thing that he tells us is that we should rejoice in the unsettling peace found in pursuing Jesus. Right? We should rejoice in the unsettling peace found in pursuing Jesus. Unsettling peace. Let's talk about that for a minute. In verse 12, Paul tells us that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And right there, your, your heart should skip a little bit. You should have a, a question, right, to work out your own salvation. The, the truth is, I can't fix a sprinkler without going to Lowe's 10 or 12 times. And here it says i got to work out my own salvation. Right, that's, that's just not possible. Right, the, the application of the gospel is tremendously difficult to, to work out for just us mere mortals that well, we have a hard time getting to Lowe's. As a matter of fact, as we look through Scripture, we know that it's impossible. Right? Even if you could come back again and again and again and you had many, many lives as a sinful human being, you will never be a perfect God. Not to mention you just get one life. Right? One time. And you will never, ever be equal to God. You will never, ever be able to save yourself. So what does Paul mean? And Paul, Paul knows that. That's not a su- surprise to Paul. So what does he mean when he says you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? It simply means that we cannot be content with our past glories, but we need to demonstrate our faith day by day as we grow in our relationship with God. There was this old Christian song, and he used to say, I am not where I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be. Right? So we see Christ working in our life, but we say, no, 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 I want to be a little bit better. I want to grow in my relationship. I'm glad I'm not there, but I'm not happy here. And that's when our hearts desire to know God and to grow in God more. Right? We, we take spiritual disciplines like Bible reading or prayer or maybe scriptural study, right? participation in, in Christian communities, and we, we practice them daily not to earn our salvation. Right? Doing those things, we don't earn our salvation. God doesn't have like a, a checklist and say, okay, that's good enough, you're saved now. That's not why we do those things. We do those things to grow in our knowledge and to grow in our relationship with God. We do those things because God is the desire of our heart and we want to know him more. That is how we worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? We need to know who God is. Right? We can't earn our salvation. It's, it's by grace that you have been saved, so you can't earn it. But what you can do is you can grow in your relationship with God. You can grow in your knowledge of God. You can grow in your relationship with Christ. Church, the, the gospel is, is opposed to earning, but nowhere in the gospel is it opposed to effort. Right? You will never, ever, ever earn your salvation. But you can work towards growing in your salvation. 
Jesus' example is not natural for our sinful flesh. Right? When we look at his humility, we look at his, his selflessness. Right? When we just look at the few things that Pastor Martin shared with us about how to imitate Jesus' selflessness, there's only three things. Right? But they're hard. That we are to seek to give rather than to keep. That we are to seek to serve rather than be served. That we are to seek to obey rather than rule. Those are things that are not natural for our flesh. Those are not things that we just say, oh, those are easy to do. Those are things that we must work at. You might find one or two of those things and you say, hey, that's easy. But if you're being honest with yourself, there's probably one of those in your heart that you know you have to work on that you have to spend time and dedicate in your, your own heart that says, I made display, but my heart is having difficulty doing this. The truth is that as you faithfully pursue Jesus, you are made more and more aware of your deficiencies. Right? The, the more you learn about Jesus, the more you learn about yourself, the, the, the gap between you and Jesus grows. Your deficiencies become more and more apparent to you. And this should be unsettling to you. This should cause you concern. I, I had a great, well, I have a great friend. He's still alive. His name's Brian, and we were walking through our faith together many years ago when I lived in Virginia, and we were in accountability partners, and the two of us would get together. We would share life together. We would share our faith together, and every now and then when we were talking, God would reveal an aspect of our life that he had radically changed, right? Maybe it was the words that we used. Maybe it was our willingness to forgive people. Maybe it was simply just the, the music that we listened to. Or, or I remember one time when we were talking, we both had this passion for lost people that we could look in not the too distant future and realize we didn't have. And as we started looking at these things that God changed in our lives, the question came was, I can't believe I spoke like that. I can't believe I acted like that. And we'd say, were we even saved at the time? Right? To, to be so far from Christ. Of course, we were saved at that time. Right, and that was evident by God that he was working in our life and that he was changing us. But the two of us, when we got together, we were working out our salvation. We were looking at uh, what we were in the past and where we were now, and there was fear and trembling. We would ask each other, what do you see in my life that is not reflecting Christ? What do you see in my life that I need to change? What do you see me doing right now that in two years from now, I will say, was I saved back then? And we were trying to work out our salvation. And as Paul goes on to say, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is this part of the gospel that turns the unsettledness, that turns the fear, that turns the, the trembling into peace. Right? We not only find comfort in trusting God to do the work in the gospel in us, we rejoice that it's not dependent on us. We rejoice that that is not something I can do, but God has already done it. It is God who works in us, right? We, we can rejoice in God's presence and his empowering in our lives. Right? Even as we work at living as responsible Christians, even as we work at trying to pursue Christ, we can have comfort in knowing it's God that is working in us to allow us to do that, right? When you surrender to the, the power of God within you, the, the obedience becomes a delight. It's not a battle anymore, Right? There's something in our heart that says, I want to do this. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to read his word. There is never as much freedom or joy in realizing that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself that Christ has already done it. 
right? That Christ has already paid the price, that Christ has already done the work. And then I can rejoice in knowing that God can and will use me as he wills for his pleasures as I surrender to him and as I stop trying to make myself useful to him. But I surrender to his call. I surrender to his leading. Because as we get to know God, we know that God must do a work in us before he can do a work through us. We have to surrender to God. There are all sorts of ways that God works in us. He works in us through prayer. He works through us in Bible reading. He works through us in community with others. He, he works in us through sacrifice. And he, he even works through us in suffering and trials. If we just remember the words that, that Melissa read from Peter in his letter. Right, that through trials we are tested, we're refined. We find that our faith is more pure than gold. And we can rejoice in that. And I just want you to look at Paul as he's rejoicing that he is able to suffer. Right? He's not able to suffer like Jesus. He's not dying for people's sins. He's not facing the, the wrath of God, but he is being punished similar to how Christ was. He is able to experience more of Christ as he suffers and in his, his desire and in his willingness and in his ability to know Christ more. He is rejoicing at the fact that he is getting to know Christ more. Paul has no idea what his future holds. At, at best, he'll be under house arrest for a few more years. At worst, he'll be executed by morning. That's where Paul is sitting, and he is rejoicing. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. How much comfort do you find? How unsettled would you be at that opportunity? But Paul is saying, hey, this task, this trial that I'm going through, is providing me an opportunity to pursue Jesus in a new way. And I rejoice as I work out my own salvation, as I find new ways to know Jesus, and I reflect on him. Right? As people see me, they see some part of Jesus, the lost and dying world, the guards that are around me, the people that I'm interacting. When they see that I am experiencing Jesus in a new way, and I'm reflecting in Jesus in a new way, Paul rejoices. And that leads us to the second point that Paul is telling the church in Philippi. He says that we should rejoice in the grace of God so that we reflect Jesus to the broken world. That we should rejoice in the grace of God. And this is something that God has really, really been working on me because I have this gift. I can find problems all around me and complain about them all the time. That is a gift that I possess and it's much like the Israelites in the wilderness. As it appears, this is who Paul is referencing in verse 14 when he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. These are words that are mimicking the the story that we see in the Old Testament. And what we see in that story is God splits the Red Sea. He allows the Israelites to pass. He does not allow the Egyptians to follow them. Right? He rescues them from slavery. He guides them by a, a cloud during the day and fire by night. How many of you would like God to have a visible representation of, of God leading you every day and every night? Right? Heck yeah. Yeah, people say, well, it's not the process. It's, the, you know, it's not the destination. It's the process. Like, no, I want to know what Jesus is telling me to do. Right? And so they have that. They, they get food from heaven. They're getting water from rocks. Their clothes and shoes don't wear out for 40 years. And what do they do? They complain. Right? They're like, oh, man, I'm tired. We should have just remained slaves. 
right? They, they start getting together and it's like, oh, I think God has abandoned us. Never mind the cloud and the fire, forget all that stuff, but God's abandoned us, so let's make a cow and worship it, right? Oh, I, they start complaining about the food from heaven, man from heaven, not good enough. God, we want something else. They start complaining, oh man, all the gold that the Egyptians gave us is too heavy, right? We got too much stuff we got to carry. Man, after 20 years, Lord, my shoes are out of style. I want new shoes, right? Give me something, right? Serious guy, God, God just rescued you. He, he saved you. He provided for you. He leads you. He's faithful to you, yet we always can find something to complain about, right? We can always find something to grumble about, right? We this is my favorite about adults right now. When I say adult, I'm going to say the older generation, myself and higher. We always like to say that younger generation, and this, every generation has said this, that younger generation is entitled. Right? They're all entitled. They don't want to work for anything. But if we take a minute and just listen to ourselves, we complain about what we think we deserve that we didn't get. Right? We grumble about what somebody else got and not what we got. Right, we compare our perceived measure of God's grace in our life to what other people got and do and don't have. Man, it's a good thing. We don't feel entitled. That was sarcasm. One person got it. Man, that's crazy. Right? That's just crazy talk. If you if you think about all that God has done for you, right? If you reflect on God's grace in your life, the fact that we are called the very children of God, our hearts should be softened. Right? And, our, and our joy should be seen by the world. Right? We, we are children of the living God. Right? We sing songs about King of Kings and Lord of Lord. That's Daddy. Right? We should have a joy in our heart. And when we realize God's grace in our lives, we should be living with this luminous joy in our lives. It should be seen by all. We should be a light. We should be free of grumbling and complaining and, and free of being the negative Nancy. Uh, what's the word right now? Stop being Karens. Right? We should reflect the joy of knowing Jesus. Right? Unsaved people, they find fault and they complain about everything. But Christians should find joy in God's grace and we should be rejoicing in that. We should be excited in that. As a, a pastor at a military base, he was asked this. He said, hey, isn't it frustrating that you have a 75% turnover rate every three years? So that means that 75% of his church leaves after three years. Right, they get orders, their, their duty stations change, so 75% of his church leaves. I'm telling you right now, there's a whole bunch of pastors, and if I said, hey, look around your church, in three years from now, 75% of it's going to be gone, they would quit. Right, they would go somewhere else. And I remember this pastor was asked that. Right, think about having these ministry leaders and teachers and volunteers, and those of you that are ministry leaders, you know how hard it is to get volunteers. Right, picture you have all of these people, and in three years, they're all gone, and you're starting over. And they asked this pastor, man, how do you do, how, isn't that just frustrating you? And it was so funny. He said, no, this is great. I get to make disciples of Jesus. I get to train missionaries and the United States government sends them all over the world every three years. Right? Tell me another church that is a mission training organization like mine. And you're like, dang, he's got a good point there, right? right? That, that's a heart that sees the, the grace of God working in his life. And church, what does it say to the watching world when they can't tell the difference between their Christian friends and their non-Christian friends? Right, when we all complain about the same things. Right, when we hate the same things and, and dare I say when we hate the same people. Right, when, when we feel imprisoned or we feel trapped by the same things. Our chains have been broken, we're free. Right, but we don't live like that. 
right? What about when we feel as hopeless as those without Jesus? What are we showing our world? Right? How does that reflect the joy of our salvation? How does that reflect the joy of following Jesus to our community? Church, when we act like the dark world around us, we are not reflecting the light of Jesus to our community. Right? When we look like our community, when our lights are out just like our community, we are not the light on top of the hill. We are not the light that is shining Jesus. We are not reflecting Jesus to our community, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our, our work employees, to, to nobody. Right? We're like salt that has lost its flavor. When we forget about God's grace in our life, it's hard to reflect Jesus to those in our community. But when we rejoice at God's grace in our lives, we shine. Right? When we reflect Jesus in our lives, we point people towards hope that they don't get anywhere else. Right? When we are reflecting Jesus, when we are showing the joy of Jesus, we shine in our communities. Right? We, we take people to the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this leads to, to the final part, that when we know God's grace, we shine in our communities because we have the promise that we will get to rejoice for all of eternity. And it is that promise that should lead us to rejoicing today. It is that promise of knowing that for all of eternity, I will get to rejoice in the presence and the glory of God And if there's anything that should make you smile, if there's anything that should make you happy, if there's anything that should make you rejoice, it is knowing that promise. Right, Paul's own life follows this pattern of Christ's humble service as he faces this prospect of being poured out like a drink offering. But rather than dread this prosperity, rather than complaining and grumbling, Paul is glad and rejoices and wants the the Philippians, right, the, the people at the church in Philippi, to rejoice with him. Right, experience my joy, experience what it feels like to follow Jesus, to sacrifice everything for Jesus. Right, you talked about being poured out like a drink offering. This type of offering was very familiar in both the Old Testament and in the Greek and Roman world. Right, in the culture, it involved pouring out wine, usually onto the ground, but in this case, it's talking about on an altar with an animal or, or grain sacrifice. If, this is one of Paul's uh, uh, illustrations that he liked to use. We see it in Romans 12, that you uh, be a living sacrifice. But here we see Paul, it's this, this vivid illustration of a life that's being poured out for God's service. And he's telling the church that we are to emulate Paul's joyful service to God. Right? There's a joy that comes now in submitting and sacrificing our lives for the service and the glory of Jesus Christ. Right, there's a, a joy that you will experience, and this joy that he's talking about, it's twofold. Right, it comes when we reflect on God's grace. It comes when we strive to be like Jesus. It comes when we have the mind of Christ, and we experience this joy for all of eternity. But the thing that we often forget is that all of eternity includes right now. Right? We don't have to wait for this joy. We have the joy of knowing Christ right now, and we can live like that. Right? As Paul shares with the church, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Right? This joy is a present reality. It's not only a future promise. Right? If there's one thing that Christians are, are good at, it's delaying these promises to later. Right? You should be the happiest people your people know. You should be the happiest person in the Christ, in your community. It's because we know that promise, and that promise should bring us joy today. We know the promise of eternity, and that promise should be reflected in our lives today. 
God is at work and he's in the world and he's working in our lives, but there's, there's strenuous work that we must do as well. Right? As we are pursuing Jesus, we must sacrifice to, to follow him. But the, the, the required sacrifices and the strain of living for Christ does not eclipse the joy of living in the grace of Jesus Christ. It magnifies the joy as what Paul is talking about as we go through this. Jesus' sacrifice was done in joy without complaining. He was a lamb led to the shear without saying a, a word. And we likewise are to welcome in the service of Christ and others. And we should do it with joy. We shouldn't do it with complaining. We shouldn't do it with grumbling. Right? We should be excited at the opportunity that we get to represent Christ to our community. Right? We should be able to rejoice that Christ is working in our lives and he calls us his sons and his daughters and he lets us, right? He lets us. Some of us think he needs us. He doesn't need you to do anything. Right? But he loves you and he lets you join him on mission. And as followers of Christ, we cannot expect our path to be one of, of ease. The truth is that salvation by grace is, is totally free. But that doesn't mean there's no personal sacrifice, right? We must be dead to ourselves. Jesus makes that very clear. He warns his disciples to count the cost of following him, right? He doesn't say, hey, you can come follow me and do whatever you want. There's a cost to this. You are going to sacrifice for this. It will not be easy at all times. It will not be without suffering. Man, read the scriptures. What happens to the disciples? Right? People say that there's just the health and wealth, and if you follow Jesus, everything goes great. James would disagree with you. Paul would disagree with you. People say, but John lived. Well, they tried to kill him. They boiled him. They threw him into an, an island by himself. Right? There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. Jesus makes that very clear. Right? It's not going to be easy all the time. It's not going to be without suffering. It's not going to be absent of pain. But we also know that it will never, ever be absent of hope. It will never be absent of peace. It will never be absent of joy. If we know the grace of God in our life, and that should lead us to rejoice today. We know that Jesus is working in our lives. The, the gospel that causes us to sacrifice everything also allows us to rejoice every day. Look no, no further than today, than the meaning of what we celebrate today to see how this works. Do you know of anyone who sacrifices more for someone than a loving mother? Right? My mom would laugh in your face if you asked her what she did in her free time raising three boys. Right? She had no idea what that was. She worked two jobs. She, she never missed a soccer game. She never missed a school play. She was always there to be a tutor for whatever subject we didn't know what we were doing. She selflessly gave everything she had physically and emotionally and mentally to her children. We never knew what want was, right? We thought that waffles for dinner was a treat. It wasn't a last resort of food in the pantry, right? She would make it all special for us. We thought it was great that we had breakfast for dinner. Our mom loves us. Man, we were crazy kids. We had a sign on our door that somebody gave to my mom that said, welcome to the zoo. Man, we were we were oftentimes thankless, we were ungrateful, but she could find no greater joy than sitting down to dinner with her boys. She sacrificed so much for us, but it was nothing compared to the joy that she had in her children. I still don't understand that now that I'm a dad. Right, just last night I asked Melissa, what do you, what do you want to do for Mother's Day? And she said, anything I don't have to decide on. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? So I said, oh, okay, that's a good plan. We'll go to church, we'll drop the kids off at home, and we'll get something to eat. And she looked at me and said, no, I just want to be with my kids. Why don't we just get food and bring it home, and I can just hang out with my kids. That's where my joy is. Right? I just want to hang out. Nothing else matters as long as my kids are with me. And I'm like, man, you do so much for your kids. Take Mother's Day for yourself. And she's like, being with my kids is for myself. That's what I love more than anything else. Her greatest joy comes from time with her kids. The truth is that even with all the heartache and the worry and the frustration that kids can cause, a mother's love is greater and there's nothing that brings a mother more joy than being in the presence of her kids. And that love of a mother is only superseded by the love of Christ for us. Right? Who for the joy, right? That's his children for the joy that was set before him. Right? He was thinking of us. He was thinking of the joy of being with us. He went to the cross. Right? He endured the cross because he loved us that much. Right? The cross of Christ, it represents the greatest suffering in all of history. For Jesus not only suffered physically, but he also experienced the, the wrath of God coming upon him for the sin of the world. That was not a surprise to him. He knew what was coming, but it was for the joy that was set before him before the cross. He suffered, right? He suffered to save us. He suffered to save us from our sins. Like the promise of the future reward and joy gave Jesus strength to suffer. His struggle, his victory, and his joy, it's all ours now. Because he was victorious. All, all of those who call him Savior, all those who call him Lord, all those who follow Jesus, we get to experience the joy that Jesus was thinking about. He is the ultimate example of experiencing joy through sacrifice. Right? He gave his life for us and for that joy that was before him. He gave that life for us because he loved us. Right? He sacrificed in church. So, so now as we look at this passage, we have to ask, what are we holding on to? What are we unwilling to sacrifice to experience the full joy of following Jesus what's holding us back is it your time right are you unwilling to sacrifice time to to regularly read your bible to regularly pray to regularly study scripture to be in a bible study to to are you holding on your time and you're not discipling others because your time is more invaluable than them are you holding on your time you're not serving the church you're not serving your community are you missing the joy of loving God and others because you won't sacrifice your time? You say, no, this is mine. This is mine. Jesus says, no, you gotta sacrifice everything. Are you holding on to your power? Are you unwilling to submit to Jesus in fear that you will lose control of your life? If you have not done that yet, I'm going to tell you that's exactly what will happen. Right? Jesus will take you places. Jesus will do things in your life that you can never think of, that you can never imagine. If you submit to Christ, you have no control of your life anymore. Right? When Melissa and I got married, we said, hey, we're going to give the Lord a blank check and we're going to do whatever he says. We are going to follow him and just be obedient to what he calls us to do. There's oftentimes I look back and say, was that really such a good idea? Right? And then God takes us somewhere we didn't expect and it is the best thing for our faith. It is the best thing for our relationship. It is the, we experience so much joy in God having us do things that we would never do ourselves. That's because we surrendered our authority to Christ. Are you missing out on joy because you want to maintain control? 
What about your reputation? Are you, are you missing out on being who Christ designed you to be because you worked really, really hard to create the reputation you have now? Too often we miss out on the joy of being a son or daughter of, of the king because we believe that there is something greater than being known as the son of God, the, as a child of God, right? We're afraid somebody might call us a Jesus freak and that might be kind of weird. Maybe we live these split lives. We have our church friends and our non-church friends. I... Hey, it's just as weird for me when I go to the grocery store and run into some of you and we have to switch between lives, right? But are you just a Jesus follower? Do you care nothing more about than just saying, I am a son or daughter of Jesus? There is joy and freedom in not trying to hide your, your, your true affections for Jesus and not trying to hide who you are but just displaying your love for Christ. What about your material stuff? Are you missing out on the joy of giving because you're unwilling to sacrifice your things and give generously? Right? It's hard to live in, in the joy of Christ and enjoy the spoils of his victory. Right? We are his. He's already won. We can enjoy those spoils of his victory. We can give generously. But that's really hard to do when our, our fists are closed so tightly and we are guarding our stuff. Right? We miss out on the joy of being generous. We miss out on the joy of representing Christ. We, we miss so many opportunities to minister to people and reflect Jesus because we want our stuff. This is what it means to work out your salvation. Right? That we look at our lives, that we inventory our lives, and what are we unwilling to sacrifice to experience the abundant life that the gospel promises? Right? What do we need to work out in our life? What's holding us from the joy of following Jesus? Right, this, this redemption, right, this God's plan, this thing that we have been swept into, it is too great that we cannot be careless about it. Right, this is something serious. Paul's like, hey guys, don't, don't just mistakenly do this. It's not gonna happen. But to follow Jesus, to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. However, we should live every day in the joy that comes with Jesus' victory. Right, as we are working out our, our salvation, we also know we're saved, right? We have the, the security of the work that Jesus has already done. Our salvation is secure. No one can snatch us from his hand. And that should bring us joy. Have you ever experienced the joy of salvation that is earned by Christ? Right? Have you ever been able to take a deep breath and enjoy and to, to celebrate the salvation that is earned by Christ? Have you ever given your life to him and experienced the true joy and you're able to rejoice at sacrificing everything to follow Jesus. If you have not done that, why not today? Why not this morning? You're saying, I, I want to have that joy. I want to be able to celebrate. Well, it's really not that hard. You just have to surrender to Christ. The first step is by far the easiest. And all those that have given your life to Christ know that's the easiest part. But as you continue to sacrifice, you will gain more and more and more joy as you come to know and to follow and to love Jesus. Church, it is the gospel that calls us to sacrifice everything. But it's that same gospel that leads us to the ultimate joy in our lives every day. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful as we could just think back to the work that you've done in our lives, we could think back to the grace that you've shown each of us. Lord, we're so happy that we can be able to say that I'm, I'm so glad I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be. And we know, Lord, that you are still working in our lives until it is complete. 
Lord, we are so grateful for your son, Jesus. We are so grateful for the opportunity that you have chosen us to represent you to this world. Lord, we pray for strength and encouragement, discernment, but Lord, we pray that we would have the joy of our salvation in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that when people ask us where that joy comes from, that we would have clarity to speak the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we just love you. We take today to set aside and to worship you. Lord, we just pray that as we leave here, our lives don't change, but they become a living sacrifice for you. We believe that our joy is resembled as we walk out into the world and it reflects the hope that comes with knowing Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you and it's in your son's precious and holy name that all the church said, amen.